Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. With us this week, I have Catherine Rubino, also of Above the Law. How are you out there? I'm good. How about you? I am good. So for those of you who are longtime listeners of the show, you know that Catherine being on means we're going to have a, you know, a PTI-style ESPN <laughs> roll-through uh, hot topics roundup of the news. So Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's the plan, you you know, unless there's anything important you want to discuss before we get into these hot topics, but we can just jump right in. No, I mean, um, the only things I would discuss, I'm just going to, how about I do this? Because we never do it this way. Uh, At the end of the show, I'm going to say all these things again, but, you know, sometimes people quit listening before the end of the show. So I'm just going to go ahead and say, this is your opportunity to, you know, subscribe to the show, give it reviews so that people, uh, more people can hear it. So there you go. There you go. Okay. So a bunch of stuff is happening in the legal world. So I'm going to go through a couple of hot topics. Um, We'll talk about them for maybe a couple minutes each. Do you got a timer going, Joe? Sure. Okay. So the first thing I think we should talk about is the bar exam. Uh, It was this week, and but it was preceded by a bit of controversy, at least in California. On Saturday, um, the test began on Tuesday, but on Saturday evening, they sent out the list of the what the each of the essays would be about. I mean, in very general terms, you know, constitutional law, not nothing more specific than that, um, but it's very much a, a change in standard protocol. It turned out that they had inadvertently disclosed that information to a list of uh, law school deans and in an abundance of caution decided to share that information with everyone who is taking the test. Some people were happy with this result. Some people were very much not. Do you think that the remedy for inadvertently disclosing it to law school deans and the remedy being, you know, sharing it with everyone was appropriate? Do you think it was a good idea? Do you think it was a bad idea? Yeah. Um, I No, I, I think that was the appropriate response. If you've given some people access to the questions and- Or potentially. Any, I mean, there's no potential. actual information that anybody got it who was taking the test. Right, but you you've given you've given deans access to it, which raises the possibility that some people know what's going to be on the test. And if that's the case, then the right answer is to provide it to everybody. I also have never really understood the. I, I'm not one of these people who really buys into the cloak and dagger making us spend hours and hours trying to memorize commercial paper uh, and sure. then never having it show up on the test. Right, like. And especially that it happened as late as it did. It's not like people blew off topics for the whole period of studying for the bar. They blew off, you know, at the very end, they were able to, having studied commercial paper or whatever it was, throughout the summer, they now know that they've got to hunker down on the subjects that really matter. And that seems fair to me. Sure. And again, this was just the essay portion. Um, The multi-state part of the exam, you know, was unbothered by any of this nonsense. Right. Well, there you go. 
So yeah. speaking of the bar exam, uh, it was this week. Do you have any uh, bar exam horror stories? I know that we uh, found out from some folks in uh, Minnesota that the PA system came on repeatedly and was broadcasting all manner of just random stuff. Do you have any stories like that? Uh, or do you remember anything from your time as an ATL editor of really memorable bar exam horror stories? I mean, yeah, right? Like we had um, several years ago, there was the time when the power went out at the bar location. So no one had any lights uh, for several hours. There was That's a time, not great. <laughs> there was a time when the, um, the exam software itself crashed during the middle of the administration of the exam. Mm. That obviously caused some trouble. I remember that one coming across the wire because I remember I was out of town when I got the message. So... Yeah, no, I mean, there's always stories like these. My personal bar exam was fairly uneventful. I don't know about well, you. Well, that's good, I guess. I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Did you do anything fun through. after the bar exam? Um, I mean, I went to a bar. I, I meant like a bar trip, but sure. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I uh, I did not do any of that. Uh, I, I sat around uh, and just prepared for starting work. Which I well, would that have, seems which very I diligent, would have but I'm done. Pretty sure yeah. what that means is you just spent a lot of time in a bar, like like right. an actual like alcohol establishment, not. Well, well, sure, but I mean that's also most of the legal career. But no, I, <laughs> I, um, no, I would have started work a few weeks after you know later, but then that was delayed a little bit because my yeah. office had to be evacuated because there was something of a terrorist attack. I don't know if you've heard. Y- of you it. graduated in two thousand and one, is what you're saying? I did. <laughs> So, yeah, and you were working, you were scheduled anyway to work downtown. So it was a bit of yeah, a commotion. The building next door. So, yeah, it was a little that, that delayed at the start of my legal career slightly. Fair enough. All right. Well, let's try another. Something maybe a little. There. Oh, I'm trying, like that one. I'm trying other ones mostly because the air horn sounds more right from the what we're going for. But I feel I remember that we had somebody write us in and say that the. He, they listened to the show in the car and started thinking that they were getting honked at. So I'm trying to come up trying with Trying to other, be mindful yeah. of, of yeah. how people consume the product? Sure. Well, there you go. Okay. So next topic. Um, mm-hmm. Jones Day, we've talked about on multiple occasions, um, has is finds itself with, um, a defendant in a gender discrimination lawsuit, um, an unequal pay lawsuit. Uh which, you know, is an interesting thing we can talk about separately. But one of the things that they're in their most recent answer to the complaint, it's an amended complaint, they say that their compensation system is not a black box. And in fact, they're very uh, upfront about what people make. Um, given Jones Day's reputation as someone who has covered both Jones Day and the compensation landscape for a number of years, what's your gut reaction to that information? I mean... You can, I, I'm sure they object to the term black box. So maybe <laughs> maybe we shouldn't use it. We should instead say that their compensation numbers are very opaque and put in a little container that is completely covered and shielded from any transparency. Um, <laughs> they are notorious for saying that they pay, you know, they, they pay the, the standard going rate for like first years, maybe second years, and then after that, you know, it's individualized. And what individualized means is we're not telling anybody what they make. It's all kind of behind closed doors. We know, you know, and you're kind of under a peer pressure situation to not divulge that you're 
above or below or where what have you. Mm-hmm. We, and that's it's a way in which employers can exert leverage over employees and make them and systematically undercompensate them. That's not the way in which employers like to think of it, but that's what it is. Yeah, I think that part of the problem and why some firms, and Jones Day is by far the most notorious of these in terms of of not being clear about their lockstep, whether or not they have lockstep compensation or anything like that, is that, you know, when you say something like individualized compensation, you will be paid based on merit. There's this kind of, you know, uh, puritanical, hardworking work ethic that I think people say, well, I work hard. I'm sure that I will be one of the people who get paid above the market. But that is never how any of this works, right? Uh, or very The lack rarely. of clarity is always used by the people in power, by, you know, the employer in order to underpay. This is literally what the Lily Ledbetter issue was all about, right? That right. was That was a legal response to litigation where a woman was systematically underpaid for years because they because she didn't know that she was being underpaid because they didn't mm-hmm. allow people to discuss and learn what their salaries were and then she was not allowed to pursue her claims for being underpaid in a discriminatory fashion because you know they were time barred she should have raised that before but she never knew about it before and that's why we had right. a law address that that's what these opaque pay systems are set up to do. They right. Whether or not you intend to, as an employer, and let's give employers the most benefit of the doubt, sure. even if they aren't intending to be discriminatory, discriminatory results can exist in this system. So you're far better off if you don't want to get sued, like Jones Day is getting sued, in being transparent. And that's what, you know, the yeah, more that, genteel firms do. if you do. look at the industry as a whole, um, you know, obviously the Jones Day lawsuit is associates who are suing uh, because of the black box compensation system. But the majority of the lawsuits that we've seen in big law are from the partners, which are not paid mm-hmm. lockstep at most places that, you know, there's a lot more unknowns as to what you should be making, what your peers are making uh, and whatnot. And that's where we're really seeing the majority of those lawsuits. While we have, you know, the occasionally we will have some associate ones. It's really only in the instances where they're not paying lockstep compensation. Right. Yeah, makes sense. That was a gavel bang attempt. I don't know if that worked. Uh, It didn't really. It didn't didn't really sound as good. Yeah. All right, go on. Okay, well, we'll continue on the big law train for a minute here. Um, We've been reporting about this extensively, but the firm of LeClaire Ryan appears to be in its death throes. Um, some reporting that they've begun the process of dissolution. Um, and this comes after a couple of years of losing partners and senior attorneys to lateral moves. Uh, their headcount has been decimated. They've uh, We reported that they sent out Warren Act notices to staff of impending mass layoffs. Um, they've been unable to pay back capital contributions made by former partners. Mm-hmm. Um, they're reportedly being sued by their landlord at one of their offices. They, they've got lots of problems. So the fact that they're pursuing a potential dissolution is not really surprising. But do you think that this is a sign or a harbinger for other firms in the bottom half of the AMLA 200? I don't know. That's an interesting way of putting it. I don't really know as though that's that's what is going to happen. I, the bottom half of the AMLA 200 has faced issues for years, right? There, sure. We know that there is increasing consolidation at the top. There's stronger competition for a variety of reasons from both alternative legal providers and the boutiques, which are now able to leverage 
with the help of technology, uh, leverage themselves a lot better because they don't require armies of attorneys to do some tasks that used to. Mm -hmm. For that reason, those firms are kind of in a weird place. Do I think that a lot of them are going to spiral out of control and disappear like this? I don't know. I do think that there's going to be increased pressure on consolidation where firms merge, for instance. I think that's something that will happen. I think there's going to be mm -hmm. more of these regional firms that lock, stock, and barrel join up with national firms that want a presence in that region. Those sorts of ends I can kind of see. But this one really kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, I, one wouldn't have thought that Leclerc Rhine was the sort of firm that was, you know, was the next one to go. There seemed to be, at least off, from my perspective, it's, I felt like there were other firms that were bigger candidates for a collapse. But mm -hmm. Well, one of the interesting though, things, too, is that Leclerc... Ryan um, sort of tried to launch Law Firm 2.0 and had a strategic partnership with an alternative legal service provider, United Lex. Yep. Um, so, you know, they're very much, I guess, aware of these sort of external pressures that exist for a lot of law firms, but it doesn't appear to have have been the sort of lifeline that they might have hoped. Yeah, no. Um, certainly seemed like there was some chance of a nouveau firm. But right now it looks as though at least monitoring the uh, the moves, it looks as though they're moving towards more of a, as opposed to being taken over, but more like what happened with Bingham going under, which is more of a rate of firms that are just kind of picking and choosing the partners mm -hmm. that they want. Uh, and it appears though Fox Rothschild's doing a good deal of that. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. Ooh, yeah. I like that one. Okay. All right. The Boeing sound, right. we'll, we'll stick Yeah, and with it that. doesn't sound like a car accident at all, so that's good. Right. Okay. Okay, so um, former Pennsylvania Attorney General Kathleen Kane was recently released from prison. You've covered this story. Um, for those people who may not remember 2015, uh, the, <laughs> the innocent days of 2015 uh, and the political scandals that existed then, can you recap the case and why was an attorney in jail? Sure. Uh, actually, all of us wrote on this case back then. I was looking back at the archives. Even you were uh, were heavy on this one. It oh, it was one of those it was one of those cases that it just doesn't come along very often. It's a state mm -hmm. attorney general who manages to find themselves on the wrong end of a criminal probe uh, and ultimately serves eight months, I believe, in jail. She, the way it all starts to, and it, it's really sensational above the law worthy stuff. So the way it starts <laughs> is she apparent uh, well, I guess not allegedly. She puts a stop to a investigation that was targeting Philadelphia lawmakers for corruption. The prosecutor who was behind that decided uh, to make a stink about how this she's like shielding her political allies uh, and abusing her office. This claim then gets in the newspapers. Kane gets angry about this and chooses to kind of retaliate against everybody for Aww. pushing this. Uh, that's the problem, because that also results ultimately in her having to lie to a grand jury about how she wasn't trying to retaliate. Wow, well, that's <laughs> not great. So now you start getting lying under oath along with the corruption stuff, and it just... It just spirals out of control. Meanwhile, in the middle, there was something about a twin sister or some. some oh, we're getting identity. there. Oh, we're getting there. Uh, we're I love not. It. E we're, we're not even there yet because in the <laughs> middle of all this is when 
she comes across a bunch of porn emails that were being sent around the Supreme Court of the state. This whole controversy is kind of a sub-controversy within what she's doing. This ends up <laughs> resulting in multiple, a couple of the Supreme Court justices having to resign tearfully for running a weird uh, porn exchange, basically, <laughs> on, on the Supreme Court's dime. Then we have the fact that she has a twin sister and, you know, Kathleen Kane really does kind of sound like a soap opera character, doesn't it? Um, she has an <laughs> she has an evil twin, or maybe a, a good twin, which whichever it is, she has a twin that she utilized as a decoy when she was not wanting to answer reporter questions. So she would send her sister through the courthouse during the the hearings, so reporters would mob her so that she could sneak around. So I we're assuming she's the one who was in jail the whole time, and that it isn't some. Man in an iron mask situation with her poor sister who's been there. Uh, whatever. Uh, no, it was it was bonkers. Uh, one of those things you didn't really expect. But we're happy to report because of good behavior, she is now out of jail and ready to take on whatever career one does after they've been disbarred. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, thanks thanks for that. Oh, there we go. Um, yeah. Okay, next topic. Um, okay. The Covington High School student Nicholas Sandman uh, lost his defamation case against the Washington Post. Um, if you recall, he was that MAGA-hatted uh, kid that was at the protest. Um, do you are you surprised by this verdict? No. Uh, yeah, exit Sandman. He made a case uh, a multiplying. I mean, you were oh, sitting on you. that. I mean, it, it's in the story I wrote about it. But yeah, um, he entered. Uh, he put together a multi-million dollar claim against the Washington Post, which many people became kind of a cause celeb among the right-wing Twitter. Uh, if you were a lawyer, it never made any sense. There were no real defamatory statements in any of the Washington Post's coverage. Uh, the mm-hmm. only things that they, the only thing with spe- specificity they they even said about him was a pure opinion claim where both sides were presented of the interpretation of the event. And then everything else was just generically covering what happened. And you can't plead with particularity when the term that the complaint most often uses is that the Washington Post gave a gist of defamation. Uh, that is not that is not how the rules work. And yeah, yeah. So Put quickly that, in your that got manual. Stop using that word if you're trying yeah, to write just in your complaints. Yeah. So he got kicked to the curb pretty brutally. Uh, they're going to try and appeal it, and you know, okay, who knows? Like the way these courts are being set up, they might find some wacky argument to like let him stay on. But as a somebody who has a passing understanding of defamation law, this was not only an easy win for the Washington Post, it's when I read the gist thing the first time, I thought it was uh-huh. borderline Rule 11 discussion. Really? It was just okay. so far away from the actual elements of a well-pled defamation claim that I was I was really thinking this could be one of those rare instances where somebody seeks sanctions, but... In Bless. you know, good for him and his lawyer. They managed to avoid that at least. But you know, rather than take their win on not getting sanctioned, they're gonna appeal, and so this will go on a little bit longer. All right, moving on to the world of law school, the GRE is continuing its creep into law school admissions. With most recently, Yale saying that they will now accept uh, applicants. GRE I missed scores. I missed the sound, so I put that in. Yeah, go on. So yeah, oh, Yale's okay. taking the GRE now, right? 
yeah, what's up with that? Do you think it's a good idea, bad idea? What's your opinion? I'm one of these people who actually has always supported the GRE as a test. I think that it's not like there's lawyers have this haughty attitude that the LSAT is amazing and every other standardized test is basically a crayon filled out back of a kid's menu. It's not. Like, the GRE is a real test. It's how we we determine who is qualified to get into all manner of grad programs. There's no reason it isn't indicative of somebody's intelligence and, by proxy, ability to be in law school. I think that the LSAT is probably better tailored to the skills that go into being a lawyer, but the GRE isn't ridiculously far off. And when you start taking into account that the GRE is a test that covers a broad range of postgraduate options, whereas the LSAT is very limited, what was happening is students were saying, well, I've got to pay to take the GRE if I want to go into any number of grad programs. I'm not going to pay for a second test. And, you know, that was limiting law schools from potential people. See, that that's actually the area where I think where it kind of falls off the rails for me. You know, even accepting that the GRE isn't a finding test or whatever, I think that the point – A lot of people wind up going to law school, not because they have a burning desire to be a lawyer, but because it seems like a good option at the time where there's no better option, right? You go to school for three years, and then you're immediately on the job market, and the high-end salaries for associates are eye-popping when you are 22 years old and have no real marketable skills. So I think that a lot of people turn to law school in lieu of sort of uncertainty. Um, And I think that making it easier for people who are not committed to being a lawyer and going to law school and taking on that debt and, you know, practicing law on the back end, I think is problematic. I think that you, I understand why law schools are doing it. They want a bigger, a broader pool of applicants, particularly, you know, you know, now because of the Trump bump and whatnot, law school applications are up. But, you know, it was definitely a struggle for a lot of years when a lot of this, when the, the beginnings of this trend began. And I, I, I worry that it's going to encourage people to, oh, I might as well go, to, I might as well put my name in for law school while I'm at it. I'm yeah, already be- de- taking the GRE and that will wind up with people being in law school that don't really want to go suddenly saddled with debt and into a profession that they think will be very lucrative, but has a lot of problems associated with it. And they made that decision without researching it, without being aware of what it really will be like. Yeah, because being a, being a 17th century French poetry professor is so much more lucrative a career move, right? Like, these folks are looking for postgraduate studies. They're not going on the academic job market versus going there's to law a, school. There's, there's is, but they're both bad ideas. There's a lot of different uh, uh, um, uh, assistance for if you're going in for different graduate degrees. The the calculus is different, and you get a two-year degree, you know, at least in the instance of, the first instance in terms of a master's, you know, versus a, a paying for a third year. There's a, there's a lot of different elements there, I think. Yeah, I, I, my only concern is whether or not the test adequately gauges somebody's capability to deal with the intellectual rigors of it. I think this does. It's fine. I also think that we we haven't covered, and we are not going to end up having time in this little section to cover, but there's there's also the fact that the LSAT is not administered as often and is administered 
in person for folks in the middle of nowhere, long ways away, whereas the GRE you can take almost all the time, and it's a lot well, easier. Well, that actually leads right into my next topic, which is okay. uh, what I think is part of the LSAT's – well, there you go uh, – What part of the LSAT's response to the GRE's encroachment on its turf, which is the LSAT is now digital. It's all done on uh, tablet computers, and they did the first administration of a digital um, exam recently, and going forward it will be ex- – offered exclusively in the digital format, um, and they are also increasing the number of times that the LSAT is offered per year. Um, Do you think that this will help them fight off the GRE? I mean, it certainly helps. But then again, this in in a lot of ways, this comes back to the whole point of why the GRE is good, right? If the GRE had never been accepted as a possible test by some of these top tier schools, then we wouldn't be seeing the LSAT make any of these progresses. When they felt they had a monopoly and they were the only game in town, they didn't care about any of these long-term problems. They're making these reforms only because the GRE is now encroaching on their turf, which is more reason why it was a good thing. Yeah, that, that's a that's a fair point. Although I, I still maintain that there are a number of issues with widespread use of the GRE in lieu of the LSAT. Yeah, because because I get it. Lawyers want to be all snooty, but you don't have to be. I, I mean, know? I think I made several arguments, none of which were me being snooty. But you know, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I I felt I felt that was uh, that was a good time to. I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did. Okay, another scandal uh, I wanted to touch on. Larry Clayman is facing a bunch of allegations. What's going on there? Larry Clayman is a well-known conservative gadfly. He started a group called Judicial Watch, uh, then later sued them, uh, and another one called Freedom Watch, which uh, because he doesn't really have uh, a lot of creativity. Anyway, these are (laughs) those kind of, like, they're just kind of like, press communications offices posing as legal stuff, but they talk a lot about courts. He's been long-term a, um, you know, one of those serial litigator for right-wing causes. Anyway, he uh, has been slapped by the D.C. disciplinary folks, and he's appealing this decision. He says that it, it's wrong, but among the things that are kind of in the discussion and largely uncontested are that he had this weird relationship with a client uh, that involved paying for her to move somewhere with him and then hitting on her, and then she declined his advances, so he raised her rates uh, and put her in, like, stranded her and took away her, her apartment. What? There's a bunch of stuff in there. Obviously, some of, uh, a good deal of it he denies, but this is the findings of the disciplinary committee who was sent to investigate it. There obviously is appeals processes, and this is just a recommendation of what to do with him. But they sure. recommend that he basically be suspended for uh, for some time and then have to – it's a show cause order. Then after that period, he has to go in front of them and prove why he should get his license back. So it's kind of a slow motion disbarment uh, if it goes through. All right. For our final topic um, of okay. the day – I want to talk a little bit about uh, Big Law again. Um, Kirkland Ellis recently launched a new benefit, a new perk for their associates. They now have access to a concierge service. Do you think that these sorts of benefits really move the needle in terms of recruitment for these uh, top flight law firms? I don't. I do think they're they're useful. Uh, If you are the sort of person who's billing hundreds of hours, you're going to have times where – 
somebody needs to go get your dry cleaning or you need to sure. go cross town and get something. And firms that are in a position to say, we have a group that is prepared to go do those tasks for you. That's useful. It makes your life easier. I mean, the flip side of it, of course, is that it begins from the premise that... That you don't have you, time to pick up your own dry cleaning. you don't have time and should not be given time to do these things yourself, which right. is more problematic. It speaks from an idea, especially in a world where we have these mental health issues and substance abuse issues in the law, driven, and there was a open letter written by a Denton's partner this week about how the billable hour itself is kind of corrosive and pushes people into these unhealthy and bad behaviors sure. of working themselves to death. And the idea of this concierge service, which seems like, hey, here's a perk, is really troublingly a Band-Aid over the gaping chest wound that is maybe we shouldn't run an industry where people feel like they can never go get their dry cleaning. That's yeah. that's a problem. Yeah. I mean, I definitely remember back in my firm days, I was struggling to even like make time to like get groceries. You know, where mm -hmm. I was like, yeah. I have to, st I have to stay at eight o'clock because I've I've had nothing in my apartment to eat or drink or you know anything for weeks because I've been working so much because you know on some case that's going crazy yeah. or whatever. Yeah, um, the firm cafeteria was there for a reason, uh, and it it it's another one. We didn't have it's one, a nice yeah. <laughs> it's a nice thing, but then you think about it, and it's just another way in which you're stuck there. And yeah, I, I mean, I'm one of these people who thinks that we sometimes go too far with the idea that oh, work's so grueling. It's like yeah, toughen up a bit, but there is a limit, and I do think that a lot of times law firms are too far past that limit and that mm -hmm. there needs to be something to kind of rein in the level to which people are asked to subordinate their lives. Yeah. That, yeah. that being said, you know, yeah. that is going to be true whether you go to a firm that offers concierge service or a firm right. that does not and having, yeah. a, you know, taking a little bit of the pressure off you to like try to balance, you know, getting, you know, whatever you need from the drugstore or something like that, you know, I, I just need Tylenol or something, you know, uh, probably yeah. does make life a little bit nicer for the associates who have that perk. Certainly. Certainly true. Uh, yeah. And that's what makes it such a hard story to say. I mean, one of the things that, that the concierge service did was send somebody out in a blizzard to buy dog shoes for somebody, some associate. So, I mean, you know, maybe there are certain things you don't need to do. <laughs> maybe there are reasons why working you, you should keep working and then just uh not have that option anyway <laughs> well cool that was our final topic you said it was all right let's let's bing this one more time so that's the end see Woo! i'm you know i'm getting full use of this soundboard now that i don't have ellie complaining about it all the time i mean why doesn't he like it it's joyful it is. I agree. I don't understand why he has no mirth. Uh, so <laughs> this is the end of the show. You should be reading Above the Law. You should be following us. I'm at Joe. Uh, I'm at Joseph Patrice, actually, and she's at Catherine One, spelled with the Y-N at the end of Catherine. And the K. Well, right, and a K. Good point. Yeah, there's a lot of variations of Catherine, I suppose. There uh, are quite a few. But you're you're number one, at least according I'm to your Twitter one handle. Of all the Catherines on Twitter, at least I'm the one. at least on Twitter. So yeah, follow that. Uh, you should be 
subscribe to the show, as I said earlier, giving it reviews. That helps out our uh, rankings and gets more people listening to it. Uh, you should be listening to the other LTN offerings. Also, you should listen to Catherine's show, The Jabot, which is another podcast out there. You should, uh, yeah, read Above the Law. That's that's pretty much everything, I think. All right, have a good day. All right, bye. Bye. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Yeah, you had no groceries. That was the reason you couldn't cook in your apartment. I mean, okay, first of all, the real story is that I couldn't figure out how to get by toilet paper because the only Dwayne Reed by me, because it was downtown and they didn't always used to be 24 hours, would close at 7 and I couldn't, I couldn't buy toilet paper. So I wound up stealing it from the toilet, from the bathrooms at the firm because I was like, if I have to be here and can't buy myself toilet paper, I'm taking the goddamn toilet paper from the firm is what actually happened. But I thought that was like improper. Yeah, fair enough.